I hear we have a surprise today. We have a huge surprise. Drum roll. We have the one and only real life Jeremy Johnson here with us. Say hello, Jeremy. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Jeremy, I'm so excited to meet you. This is the first time I've met you and I look forward to what you want to share with us. This is going to be an interesting podcast. So okay, great likewise. Here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Oh, man, there's so, so much to talk about. I'm sure everyone has zillions of questions, but I did not tell anyone you were coming on. So I don't know what their questions are. It's a surprise. So (laughs) we're just going to go with our questions. This is such... I've never had a case like this. Like, this was so unbelievable. I've gotten close to clients before, but I've never met anyone like you. So let's actually go back... Because I, we did talk about the Haiti stuff a couple episodes ago. How did you even end up... You heard about the earthquake that happened. And then you just... How do you decide, like, let's just grab all our planes and helicopters Here. and go? First of all, before you start there, will you tell me... How did you ever get... Did you get your pilot's license and then your helicopter license? Or how did, was that something that you've always wanted to do? Was that a passion? When I was a kid, we had a small plane. Not everybody just buys a helicopter. <laughs> no, <laughs> but uh, they're kind of like a drug, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I was getting my pilot's license, and a guy flew in in a little helicopter, and he was going to start giving lessons. And so I was like, oh, I'd like to try that, and I just loved it. So right away, I signed up to be a student, and you know, I was one of the first people that he taught. Were you an adult or were you a kid? Like- See, I was probably 23, I'm guessing, and that 24 oh, okay. maybe. Yeah. So then jumping to what Pam said, how did you get involved in Haiti? Um, I have been fascinated by countries like Haiti, so I study them. You know, I try and figure out, I wonder why you have a country, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere by a long shot. Oh, okay. And I'm trying to understand how is this that this country, it's only 600 miles away from Fort Lauderdale, is so poor and everyone lives in such grinding poverty. And I knew how horrible the infrastructure was there from all my research. I knew Uh there was really almost non-existent hospitals. Uh, I knew there wasn't helicopters in the country. And I knew that there wasn't building codes, and so there was going to be a real calamity. So as soon as that earthquake hit, I thought came to my head immediately, like, you know, hey, instead of sending money, this is a chance where you might be able to make a difference being on the ground and bringing all these machines. Mm -hmm. And so within two days, we were there. Wow, that's amazing. Within two days, you were? Yeah. Wow. So did you ask your team, like, hey, who wants to go to Haiti? Let's go make a difference in the world. How do you do that? Uh, that- it was, yes. As soon as I, I mean, I had uh, my pilots. So I first thing I did is got on the phone. I called my pilots, and I had a really competent pilot at the time, head pilot. And I said, get us into Haiti. He was something else. He did it. He got on the phone. He started making connections, calling mm-hmm. in favors, and... Next thing you know, we we're on the ground in Haiti before any other rescue yeah. teams or anything else. We were the first, almost yeah. the first ones there. And then he kept that up, you know, basically throughout wow. the whole mission. We were 
That's impressive. Uh, evacuating and wow, uh, bringing in search and rescue and volunteers and so yeah, there was no shortage of people after that. Wow. Once we were there, that were willing to come and help. So when you arrived and you're in the middle of this trauma, I guess, where did you stay? You land your machine or you land the helicopter or you land at the airport or whatever, but where were you staying and where was food coming from or were you bringing it with you? How did that work? Um, We were staying, sometimes I would just sleep in the helicopter on the tarmac, um, sometimes like a tent somewhere. Um, Once in a while we could get a hotel room. Uh, It was like... (laughs) Yeah, wherever you could find, and it was we were just going uh, dawn to dusk, and so nobody was really taking care of those arrangements. It's just like at the end of the day, we're just like, okay, let's figure something out now. Just crash wherever you could. Yeah, Yeah, that's really what it was. Yeah, wow. And how long did you Hmm. say you were there? I was there on and off for uh, the better part of a year, and then we would rotate. You know. When you look back on that, do you feel like that was a life-altering moment? How did your team feel when they look back and think, oh my gosh, we were in Haiti doing all of this rescue, bringing food in, doing all of this stuff? It was definitely life-altering, and it was preparing me like in ways I didn't understand then you know, for what was going to come. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Incredibly humbling. Uh, you know, When we got there, I remember the first day, and there's like buildings, maybe like a four-story building that had collapsed. And there's people in there still alive and they're hanging their hands out, you know. Wow. There's no rescuers and nobody chipping away trying to get them and no machines or tools. Oh my gosh. Um, You know, maybe some of them had friends that uh, were there giving them a little water and stuff, but essentially, you know, their fate was sealed. Um, Wow. Wow. There was. dead bodies all over the streets. Uh, people were dragging them out of buildings and there was nowhere to put them. So they put them in the street or on the sidewalk. Wow. Oh my gosh. Uh, and that would start to smell really, really awful. Yeah, I can't imagine the Oh smell. yeah, yeah. it's horrible. Yeah, I took the mission president to a city called Jack Mel. I think this is like the second day maybe because he wanted to make contact with all the missionaries and make sure they're safe. And so I remember when we got there, there was a kind of a makeshift hospital that had fallen down. And so they had a operating table out in the road and there was oh my. I think three or four people holding oh, a guy wow. down and one of them just oh, yeah. his leg off. It's like a mash. Oh, it sounds gosh. almost like uh, what you would just, picture a mash unit. You know what I mean? You're just... Trying to get people through and get them out. Exactly. You know. Wow. It was exactly like that, only minus uh, bone screws and anesthesia. And Oh, my gosh. It was very rudimentary. And, you know, you're like, what are these guys doing? But the reality is it's either cut his leg off or he dies of gangrene. And especially with the weather, was it very humid? It's hot. It's hot and humid all the time. Yeah. it's, One thing I want to clarify uh, just for our listeners is when he's talking about mission, mission president, he's talking about the uh, LDS church missionaries and being aware of where yeah. the missionaries are. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so having so, helicopters there was, uh, it was really valuable because there was no real way to get around the country. One of the things that happened was that uh, the port fell into the ocean. Oh, wow. And okay. this country depends on a constant supply of outside food and fuel um, to survive. And now there's ships that can't unload. Mm -hmm. And so people are starving and there's no fuel wow. for vehicles. And so even if you did happen to have a vehicle with some fuel, they were blocking the roads off and lighting tires on fire and stopping anyone trying to move around. Wow. And, you know, robbing them. Or... Yeah. Was there a lot Why of looting and that kind of thing? Was, like, burning tires, was that, like, an act of just chaos? Or was that, did that serve a purpose? Because they um, couldn't have been cold. No, they weren't cold. I don't, it's a good question. I didn't stop to ask any of them why they were doing it, but uh, there was fires all over the city. I, I remember that well. And yeah. I think mostly to stop people from driving through the roadblocks. Um, I remember a UN, and this is a, a time when the United Nations had an ongoing mission there. Thank goodness. Oh, wow. And I remember mm -hmm. watching a UN truck leave the secure compound and it gets attacked within minutes of leaving and tipped over and oh, looted. And, you know, when people are starving, they don't think rational. No, they don't do rational no. things. And right. that's wow. the, kind of the chaos that what wow. we were faced with. Wow, wow. life-altering, I can it, see. It was yeah. a, a really big-time life-altering situation. It made me really think to myself how lucky I was to be born in a country where these things would never oh, be yeah. Yeah. permitted. Uh, but that's just everyday yeah. life. You know, the country at the time, two-thirds of them lived on less than a dollar a day. Um, wow. mm -hmm. this is, I don't even want to say third world. I'd say like a fifth world country. Uh, wow. Right. I think it's got one of the highest per capita AIDS rates in the world. Um, mm -hmm. rape wasn't even illegal there until 2005 oh, wow. and only then because oh their donor countries forced them to make wow. it illegal. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah it, it, was, it was like a, you yeah, said, life altering. Yeah. And you know, I interviewed one of your pilots of this Citation 10 as we were doing the Swallow case. And because of the experience you guys had yeah. in Haiti, that guy was like, and I didn't know you. I didn't know much about you other than what was first coming out when charges were, when I was doing the Attorney General Swallow investigation. And the guy was like, had so much love for you. Like, I didn't get it because I, it was beyond like that you paid him well. This was like, hey, Jeremy Johnson is the most generous man I've ever met in my life. I'm not going to say anything that will hurt him. And I had, I would try to explain like, we're not going after Jeremy Johnson. We're just trying to find the facts of Swallow. We really just want to know, did Swallow fly on your plane? And he didn't want to say anything. And he just kept telling us how amazing you were. But I had no context of like what you just told yeah, us. Yeah. But I can imagine mm. if I had experienced something as emotional as what you guys went through there and you were all like locking arms to save people's lives that you didn't even know. Right. Right. So it's not like you have family. There, I imagine. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine like the, the bond that you must have had with those guys 
because I could feel what he had with you because he was like, I'm not going to, I don't want to do anything against this guy. He's like the greatest guy I've ever known. Now it makes a lot more sense. The more I learn, the more sense it makes to me about that. Well, it was. And uh, let me tell you a real quick story about those pilots. Yeah. We were flying and getting mostly kids that were broken. I remember I brought these a brother. Let's see, no, they were sisters. There's two little girls. In Haiti, everything's made out of cinder blocks. And so when the earthquake came, it, it looks like someone threw cinder blocks at these kids. Oh my gosh. And so one of them, it had like just ripped the skin off of her leg and her, you could all, you could see her femur on part of her leg. And the other one, her little sister, they also in Haiti don't, they cook with charcoal in these little charcoal stoves. And what had happened is the wall came down and pushed the little girl against this hot stove. Oh my gosh. The- and so she's trying to push off the stove with her hand and it's burned the side of her head and burned her ear pretty much off. And then her hand is burned right down to the oh bottom my gosh. from where she's trying to push and get off this oh stove. And so we brought these two kids down and we had multiple other people that had really severe traumatic injuries and no real way to treat them. And so I told the pilots, we're putting them in the plane. All these people fit in as many as we can that you think you can get off the ground with and fly them to Florida. And they're like, Jeremy, we can't. We don't have papers. They are not going to let these people in the country. Oh my gosh. It's, <laughs> we have no clearance to do any of this stuff. And I said, just get them in the air. do it. Oh my gosh. If they turn you around, then they turn you around. But just dump them on the tarmac and leave if you have to. And so they they did it. They didn't want to, but I pretty much forced them. And they get there, and the guy comes out, the customs guy, and asks for the papers. And they're like, no papers. And he looks in the plane and sees what's in there. And it's exactly what you can imagine. Uh, no, it's actually beyond. It's beyond around. something you can imagine. Oh, <laughs> yeah. probably beyond. He turned around and and he walked off. And uh, thank goodness, the University of Miami Hospital uh, took every one of them. I have no idea what happened, but wow. uh, you can assume it would have been the best case scenario for any of them that they were possibly wow. looking at. And I don't yeah. know exactly how many trips like that they did, but the guy never once asked for papers after that. Wow. And they would have an ambulance waiting on the ground. And so they pushed the limits uh, themselves. Wow. And yeah. they really went the extra mile more so than I think what other pilots would have. And mm-hmm. they made it happen. That's amazing. So I think I think that did change them. Oh, how? yeah. How could it not? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. God moves in mysterious ways, <laughs> right? Indeed. Yeah. Oh, no question. Yes. Yeah. That hit the media and all about what you guys were doing. Do you think that actually worked against you later in putting you on the radar to have the troubles come? Um, I don't know. I guess that's the $100 million question, right? I mean, <laughs> or I, to this day, have no idea why uh, they... Yeah. Yeah, whatever the number is. Depends on who you ask. <laughs> uh, 
you know, uh, if you count all the gold I have buried in the desert, it could be even more. But um, <laughs> I don't know why I was targeted. I'd love to yeah, know. I, I, yeah. I've learned more about, of course, the justice system working with Pam on this podcast. But every time she started, she would like, it gets crazy. And I would think it can't get any crazier than it was last week. It can't get any crazier than it was last week. <laughs> and, then, and then it just kept, and yet it, it, it was like, oh my gosh, it was like trying to cut off, you know, Medusa's head and the snakes just kept, you know, repopulating. It coming was the craziest thing. Yeah. So if you knew that that could maybe like be I, a house of cards and cause your world to crumble as you knew it, would you have changed it? Would you have not chosen to go? Are you talking about going to Haiti, Pam? Is that Haiti? Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, Pam. Absolutely, absolutely not. And even if I could go back in time and somehow not go through the whole experience, not go to prison, uh, I wouldn't do it. I mean, at the end of the day, the whole experience was actually good for me, and uh, I feel like maybe oh something I even chose to have as part of my life. You know. Wow. Um, I got uh, so much out of it that I don't think I could have gotten another way. I think, uh, like I said, it, it was a good experience. I know it's hard to imagine that looking from the outside in. Uh, and I'm not saying it was an easy experience. Yeah. It was certainly difficult. But um, it changed me, I think, yeah. in ways that uh, I couldn't have. And, Are you talking about so. Haiti or about your trial or both? trial the whole experience having the government yeah. i mean look before all this happened i think i was generally known as a good person i had all this successful company and at least a somewhat decent reputation and all that got taken and then they put me in a cement box um, even took yeah. me away from my family and all the things i love the most and so when you look at it that way and you look at it in that light, it seems like a real horrible thing and an injustice, and it was. But even that, the injustice of it was all part of, I think, what I needed to gain from it all. Wow. Hmm. And uh, so I don't regret it. I wouldn't change it. I'm not angry with the government or any of the people who put me through that. Uh, wow. Wow. You're a better man than I, I am, because <laughs> I'm still I'm still working on it. <laughs> did that come with time, or did you kind of feel that every step that happened, you were like, "Oh, hellsy bellsy I'm not sure where this is going, but I think I'm. You know, we've just got to keep walking. Or no, it came with yeah. time, uh, and I would say I didn't even start to think that there could be a purpose to it all until I had already been in prison for a while, you know. And it was there where I started to gain some understanding, I think, of what... I mean, I mean, the reality is, when I was in prison and in jail, awaiting sentencing and everything, I was so upset, you know, because I felt um, I didn't get a fair trial. And I... Yeah couldn't understand why and I'm you know saying my prayers and saying why can't 
they get justice and you know I've tried to be a good person right. um, why is this happening to me and you know why can't you make Judge New forget a heart attack and yeah. you know yeah. get me out yeah. of here no, those serious. were my prayers yeah. right and someone step in and yeah. save me I think yeah. right just what a normal person sure. would be kind of going through and yeah. you know those were not answered mm-hmm. but I eventually started saying, help me understand why I'm here. What am I to gain from this? And that prayer was answered. Um, You know, and and just uh, for everyone out there listening that's struggling a little bit, I've talked about, like, in my episode when I was assaulted by a client and all that, and I talk about, for me, my transformation came, like Jeremy just explained the question that he asked himself, the question that he was asking, it's the quality of questions we're asking ourselves that will determine the direction, the trajectory that we go from there. Mm -hmm. So when we're asking a poor quality question, we're saying things like he was saying and like I was saying when it happened to me, like when I went through my stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to be depressed for the rest of my life? I'm just going to be like one of those crazy homeless ladies that walks around mumbling to themselves because I've done, this is going to make me nuts. Mm -hmm. And instead, I eventually, I got to a a few months later, five months later, I, I changed the question to, is there any way this could make my life better? And we just learned like this huge key from Jeremy right here. And I'm only stopping you just because I really want everyone to be able to learn from my bad experience and from your trial, your bad experiences, so that we can all learn and be better. So maybe they don't have to go through as much pain so that they can recognize sooner, like, man, if I'm in a crappy spot and I change the quality of question that I'm asking myself, like Jeremy changed it from, man, how how is this justice? This is not justice. Because when we ask a question like that, our brains are computers. They'll answer it. Right. So when we change to a better quality question... It's going to give us a better quality answer. And it literally transformed Jeremy while he was in prison. Yeah. Well, I also think the determination. My oldest daughter was in the Las Vegas shooting. And her friend was one of the first ones shot. Different story. But when she started into counseling, she said, I will, excuse the French, I will be damned if I'm going to let this man ruin my life. So whatever I need to do, she had to yeah. fight through the steps. And I think sometimes we think if we sit back and, and you know, the answer is going to land on us. But it seems like your process, you were asking all the questions, trying to figure it out. Some things were answered, some weren't. But you still fought for the next day, for the next step, and kept moving forward. It's impressive that you could do that, especially under the dress that you had. Well, uh, ironically, that's, you know, not how I planned it. Uh, in fact, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to tell this. In fact, I wasn't planning to tell this, but maybe I feel like I should now. You don't have to if you don't want to, Jeremy. Would you prefer not to? Um, well, I did want to a minute ago. Okay. Okay. Let's do so, it then. I mean, the, nobody knows this, not even my own family or wife or anything, and it's hard to tell. So there might be some awkward pauses that you just have to suffer through. Okay. Not interrupt me if you want yeah. me to tell it, um, or I'll get distracted and then lose. It's hard to tell. It's not an easy thing to tell. So 
I sometimes have to sit and gather my thoughts for a second. Okay, thank you. So I was feeling very low and kind of like abandoned and uh, didn't feel like, you know, my prayers were being heard or, and I didn't understand. I didn't, I mean, before all this happened to me, I believed in the justice system. I believed that the judge would make sure I got a fair trial. Um, I thought if you're a good person, you know, then God doesn't let bad things happen to you. I believed all that. Uh, so in that situation, I just gotten sentenced to all the 11 something years. Um, for all the crimes that I was acquitted of, I just thought, you know, I didn't want to stay in there. 11 years I didn't want my family to have to endure that and so I didn't want to live any longer and it wasn't actually a terribly dramatic thing it was just uh, more like um, think about all the options and that seemed like the best one you know mm-hmm. and at the time I was in the Davis County Jail and they had me in a cell that was designed for 12 people because they had all these legal papers in there and binders and stuff on all the other beds. And so I had a big cell and I took the metal pieces from some of the binders and paper clips and I made a little hanging thing that I put in the shower, which is the only place that the guards couldn't see in with their camera. And I just planned to hang myself, basically. I was about the only way you could end your life in jail. And I was only lucky, I don't say lucky, but I was only in a certain situation where I potentially could have. So I had that all figured out and I wrote letters to my family and my wife and the people that I knew would be devastated by this and tried to explain, you know, the situation. And I was just walking around in a circle um, and, you know, I was raised Mormon and that I was thinking, so what exactly does happen when you die? Like, what's the next thing? It's always been kind of vague. Like, uh, I don't know. It seems like you just don't really get a lot of clarity on exactly what happens. It's kind of general things. And so I was a little curious and thinking about that. And I felt like I was doing the right thing and I kind of said a prayer and I said you know if I'm not supposed to end my life you better make it really very clear Uh, it can't just be like I feel good about this decision or that because none of that's worked out for me so far I've always thought the right thing is going to happen and it hasn't and so you know, my prayers don't get answered, or if they do, I don't recognize the answers. And so you better make sure I understand clearly. Yeah. 
because otherwise I don't, this seems like the best route for me. Right. Uh, so as I'm walking around in this state, uh, in the cell next to me, there's seven, eight guys, I guess they're cleaning out their cell and they bring a stack of books out and they drop it in front of my door for the library person to come and get them later. And I just, uh-huh. as I'm walking around, looked out and the book on top of the stack was called Reflections on Life After Life. Wow. And so I thought, oh, oh wow. I'm literally walking around thinking about like what exactly is going to happen after I in my life. So I thought, well, it might be worth looking at that book, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so that wow. bought a little more yeah. time and when they brought the um, dinner out I when they opened the door to give it to me I grabbed the book off the top and you know how you can like open a book and you just randomly open it somewhere um, in the middle that's what I did and the chapter said suicide mm-hmm. oh wow so oh my I felt like oh okay that's fairly clear but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah answer I yeah, guess I and so. so I read that chapter um, and uh, more or less I actually haven't read it since I have the book but I still haven't read it again uh, I understood that it wasn't like to uh, end your life it's such a bad thing or God's going to be mad at you or anything like that um it's more that you'll regret it instantly because you'll realize that whatever's causing you this trouble probably had a purpose and might more likely was something you even chose before you came here. And so you'll feel a, a real feeling of regret and loss, like, oh, I was halfway through this marathon and I quit. Wow. And so I now you know i'm gonna want to go back and finish it at some point but i'm gonna have to start at square one and so this life kind of got wasted Uh. i won't say that that like all of a sudden altered my whole outlook but it started it and bought enough time to try and gain more understanding um you know, uh, I was terribly bitter and angry about the whole situation. And so I was trying to resolve that. And I remember, I don't even know if I just thought or if I read it somewhere or what, but it's like, hey, you're supposed to pray for the people that are your enemies and that want to harm you. And so I started to do that. I'd pray for the judge. Pray for Rob Lennon, oh, wow. <laughs> Jason Burt. Yeah. Um, and at first they were pretty and automated, like not meaningful, yeah. you know, forced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But ironically, after a while, I kept doing it. Um, and I actually started to mean what some of this. And I. New Judge Newfer had a daughter that had, you know, 
I some kind of substance abuse issues and stuff and I would think about that situation and think about him and I'm thinking that's probably difficult so I pray for Judge Newfer and I pray that his daughter could get through those things and you know like started to think of things and be more meaningful and that really was amazing the difference that it made in how I felt about them because I just I think a lot of the reason I wanted to end my life was I was just consumed with anger and not understanding why these guys were doing this and especially the judge I'm like why he doesn't have a dog in this fight why is he so against me what is it that's driving this uh so I just started to see them as regular people, human. Maybe even I might, you know, when you're put in those positions, you have power over somebody. We can't all say that we've always acted the best way when we are in those kind of situations. And so I gained an understanding that it's human nature for them to do maybe some of what they did. Wow. Yeah. So that that is big stuff yeah it is and that's it's heart-wrenching to hear but fascinating and impressive the way you worked through it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that's why i say at the end of the day if i could go back and change it all and not go through that um i wouldn't because i gained a lot from that um and that was just one of maybe a dozen life lessons, yeah. I guess you could call them, that have changed how I look at life, at other people. I'm a happier, more balanced person. Uh, I don't think I could have got where I am right now without all that. And even every bit of the injustice of it, I think that was even a really important part that I was in prison, in jail for things that I did not do because otherwise I might be in there like well I got what I did right, right. right. Yeah. but I didn't feel that way and so I'm trying to find answers for that why does this happen and that's where all this growth and change kind of came out of is trying to gain that understanding wow. thank you for sharing so much oh man yeah that yeah. um, that's heartfelt. Being one of the p- many people that love you, I knew at the time. I had this gut feeling that you were going through that, and I would go see you in Davis County. Uh, anyway, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you chose to grow through it. You mean so much to me, and so many others that. I have learned a lot. I've become better because of you. I'm still trying to be as good as you and forgive because I'm still. <laughs> she's got to work on that. She's got to work on that prayer of hers. But other than that, she's... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Other than that, maybe could you just write down your prayer and send it to me, and I will just say ditto yeah. each night. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, and I actually. That's one of the things because I have, I, I, I've done a lot of episodes about other, I mean, 
not just your case, but other clients that were guilty and or clients did things and they did, but they struggled with just their own choices in their life. And it doesn't matter. What I've learned is we're all hurting for one reason or another. I was really hoping that whatever it is, that light that you found and that hope that pulled you through this, I'm so grateful that you were willing to tell us about that dark place and how you got through it. And I know that there are thousands of people that are going to be touched by this. I think so too. Because I, I have wanted to know how, how do you get through such an injustice where, I mean, they took <laughs> hundreds of millions. When you started iWorks, did you think that iWorks was going to, did you think your company, like, was your goal like, I want to build this company to be like, that we're making 50 million a year or a hundred million a year. So I can donate the money to the government. Was that a goal? When they take Did it. it... <laughs> Was yeah. that your goal, Jeremy? <laughs> Gosh. Um, no. I do want to say one thing about, about All... what you shared though. I and... really, I'm with Pam. I think your insight in one of your darkest hours uh, you just don't know where that's going to affect someone who's listening, especially when you're like, it didn't just come and be like, oh, yeah. okay, that's not what I'm going to do, that you had to work through it. And thank you so much for sharing such such a heartfelt, yeah. private moment. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, now back to the millions. You're welcome. That's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say this. That That is why I... I think I feel like I had to share that maybe it will be useful to someone. I've literally only yeah. told uh, two other people that story. One of them was a longtime friend who's ready to end her life as well. And yeah, I shared. I said, "Oh, I actually understand how you feel." Right. And right. Yeah. So I told her the whole story as well. Thank you. Thank you. Very heartfelt. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, if you've never been to that dark place, I have, where you have those thoughts. If you've never been there, it may be difficult to understand, but there, if you have or haven't, I, or if you're there now, I just want everyone listening to know, not just from my lesson, my experience, but from Jeremy's that he just shared it can get better and it will get better. And like, I remember Jeremy would send me, you'd send me these emails from prison and you'd say, I am happier than I've ever been. And I, it was, it just baffled my just little brain. Pam off. I was like, <laughs> well, you didn't get any of those from me for the first year. I know that. <laughs> No, no, not the first year I did. Yeah, it took no, it took I, me years. I, it took me years to get to that point. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, but can but I you got a, there, oh. and I wasn't there, and I wasn't there, so I didn't understand. Like, wait a minute, how are you there? I'm here trying to figure out how to get you out still, and you're telling me that you're are happier than you've ever been, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? Like. I'm way, way in the dust here. I'm way behind you. I don't understand. Uh, and so when I first started working with you, I remember we had an office and we sat just a few feet from each other. And it was just the two of us in the office. 
And like so many people, we just get so enamored with money and what you achieved financially, very few people achieve. It is stunning what you were able to achieve. And initially I was so enamored with that. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I just want to pick your brain. I want to learn everything I can. And how lucky am I that I get to sit next to you while we're working? I can say, how did you do this? Did you set goals? How did you do it? And what I learned Mm. later was it's not the money. It's who you are that I learned the most from just your character. And I have talked over and over about, I have never, I've been doing this 30 years. I have never seen a trial where the co-defendants did not turn on each other. And not only did you guys not turn on each other, but I never even heard you guys get angry and swear at each other or like to have Scott blame you or Ryan blame you. I never saw anything like it. And the character of you three men is one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. It's awe-inspiring. The kindness, the compassion, and the courage. Oh my gosh, I have learned so much from you. And I'm so excited to share this episode, to share so everyone can get to know you. So tell me, uh, and I don't want to be shallow, but it's so much of why this made headline news, because you were this (laughs) self-made millionaire. (laughs) I mean, they took hundreds of millions from you, right? At least tens of millions. Well, up to- I don't know. I think the end of the day, the number was like 30-something million. Hard to say, actually. Yeah. And that's only 37 million more than I have. So it's still <laughs> impressive <laughs> for me. <So laughs> Baby, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm sorry to do this to you. We've got to cut it here. There is so much more to this beautiful, inspiring conversation with Jeremy. Check it out in the next episodes. Thank you for listening to Pamela Private Eye.